Father God, would you please, we pray, speak to us now through your word. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us strength and would you help us to follow and serve you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning um, I'd like us to look at just two verses. They're the verses that were highlighted uh, are on the notices, verses 12 and 13. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. The wilderness is a dry and barren land. This is the Judean wilderness. Uh, It's hard. When we're in the wilderness, we are weak, vulnerable, empty, and lonely. We cannot depend on any of the things that we would normally rely on. We're subject to forces that are far more powerful than us. The wilderness is the place where we know our poverty of, of spirit. We know we're not in control. We know that the things that we normally put our trust in, we just can't rely on. It's the place of mourning where all that we cherish is lost to us, whether that's habits and rituals, comforts, possessions, or people. It's the place of meekness where we are stripped of pride where all our achievements and successes and abilities and status count for nothing. We may find ourselves in the wilderness, in the desert, because of circumstances. It could be loss or bereavement, a broken relationship, unanswered prayer, sickness, the crashing down of all our dreams and hopes, a career failure, a moral failure, a breakdown, or when we're simply brought low. Or we may find ourselves in the desert because of a conviction. We've heard the call of God to go into the desert. That might include a call to do something or go somewhere new, to move out of our comfort zone. And especially at this time of Lent, it might include fasting and abstinence. Maybe going, out without, going without food for part of a day, for instance, missing breakfast and lunch. Or, or maybe going 24 hours without food or more. Or it could be simply temporarily giving up some of those things that we look to provide us with comfort or meaning. Buying things. What about a week's abstinence from social media? Alcohol, work, doing good, maybe even speaking. In my previous parish, we used to have a silent retreat. For 48 hours, a group of us went away to a retreat house where we were together, but we were not allowed to speak, apart from in a few services. It was very special, but for people who weren't used to it, 
It was very scary, the idea of going. They thought, how can I possibly do that? It was a little bit like them for walking into the wilderness. And you will notice in Mark, in Mark chapter 1, we're told that Jesus was driven into the wilderness. It may have been through circumstances, but I suspect it was through a deep inner conviction that that is where he should have been. And you will notice that unlike Matthew or Luke, who also tell us of the temptation of Jesus, Mark doesn't tell us the actual temptations that Jesus faced. As far as Mark is concerned, all that is important is that we know that Jesus was tempted by Satan. And I note that Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Maybe he had that sense that he has to identify himself with the people of Israel who had spent 40 years in the wilderness being tested before they could enter into the promised land. Or with Elijah who travels for 40 days before coming to the Mount of Horeb where he meets with God. But 40 in the Bible is also a symbolic number. It can stand for a long time, but a time with a definite end. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights at the time of the flood. The spies are in the land of Cana for 40 days. Moses was on the mountain receiving the law for 40 days and nights. Goliath challenges Israel for 40 days. Jonah gives the city of Nineveh 40 days to repent or else. Uh, and if that's the case, there are other references as well to 40 days. If that's the case, then these 40 days can be taken symbolically and they could also refer to Jesus' entirely earthly ministry. I have to say, I have read this in no commentary. This is my own thoughts. So it probably is worth absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, the Spirit drove Jesus from heaven to earth where he was tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, the crucifixion, and the angels waited on him. We think of the angel who appeared to the women at the resurrection. That's speculation. What we do know is that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And we see here that the wilderness is a place of temptation. I love that. I love that picture. I don't know, have people seen it in the Tretikov? It is so evocative, so powerful. Kozinov, I think, is the, is the artist. Um, uh, it, it's the place where we're stripped of everything and we begin to discover what is central in our lives. We can turn to God or we can turn from God. Uh, and, and, and Mark doesn't tell us what temptations Jesus faced here, but he does later speak of the great temptation that Jesus faced, the temptation to avoid going into the ultimate wilderness place of going to the cross. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus tells his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die, and Peter rebukes him. He says, Lord, that's not for you. And Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. 
I think Jesus is so severe with Peter because this is the great temptation. He can hear Satan speaking to him through Peter. Get behind me. It's the temptation he faced all through his life to use his power to save himself from going into the wilderness in obedience to God, to avoid walking the way of the cross. And for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, the wilderness was the place of testing. I've put on your notes a very significant passage in Deuteronomy 8. Moses speaks to the people and tells them, God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna. He did this to humble you and to test you. And, and this last bit's really important. And in the end, to do you good. You see, they had to choose to trust in God and go on or to turn back to Egypt. They had to choose to grumble against God or to believe he would provide for them. They had to choose to receive and obey the law that he gave or to create their own false gods. And for us, the wilderness can be a place of temptation. It's the place where we have to decide whether we turn to God or from God, whether we trust God and whether we obey God or whether we reject him. Now, please don't think it is wrong to be tempted. It is not. Jesus, we're told, was tempted just like us. And the Greek word for temptation, pyrazmos, is the same word as the Greek word for testing. The two words are the same, but we use two different words in the English language. What is important, though, is that we do not play with temptation. There's the nice story of a mother who told her daughter that she must not swim in the local river on her way back from school. The little girl agreed, but mum wisely decided to just have a look at her bag just before she left for school in the morning, and lo and behold, mum found in there a swimming costume. So she held it up in front of her daughter, and she said, and what's this? I told you not to go swimming in the, in the river after, after school. And the little girl said to her, it's okay, mum, it's okay, mum. I only put it in in case I was tempted. <laughs> More seriously, if you know that something is a weakness for you, just don't go there. If you know you are more likely to look at pornographic or inappropriate websites when you are tired, give yourself a rule that you won't go online after 10 o'clock at night or, or whenever. If you know when you are with a certain person you do stupid things, don't go with them. If you know when you go past that shoe shop or gadget shop or whatever shop it is that does it for you without buying something, don't walk past that shop. 
The early Christian writers are immensely helpful on all of this because this was their field of battle, their field of expertise. They speak about how first comes the thought. You then contemplate the thought. You delight in it. And then you do it. The wrong thoughts will come. The question is what we do with them. If we dwell on them, if we begin to delight on them, then we are most likely to move from thinking about it to doing it. Instead, we're to get rid of the thought and not dwell on it. Pray, ask Jesus just to fill us. Start to think of, do something else. It's very difficult when something comes and you say, I've got to not stop thinking about that. That You can't do that. Think about something else. The desert fathers and mothers would say, pray, call on Jesus, pray and meditate on on something like the Jesus prayer. I'll speak about that next week. But focus on something else. I know it's hard, but we're not on our own. We have a promise, 1 Corinthians 10, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Oh, and by the way, if you fall, or perhaps I should say when you fall and give in, don't then fall into the temptation of total despair. If you turn to God, confess your sin, even if you've lost, the number of t- lost count of the number of times you've confessed that particular sin, he will forgive you. He will continue to work in you so that you will be able to stand in the future. The wilderness is the place of temptation. And I just want to add that if you do choose to fast, if you do choose to to take some of those steps, the temptations will come. I remember many years ago when I made the decision that I would um, fast on a Wednesday. um, And um, one of the jobs I had to do on Wednesday was cut the church. I was a a student working at a church, was to cut the church um, lawn. And as I, I found, what happened as I went around, I just got angrier and angrier and angrier as I cut the lawn. And I thought, God, what's all this about? I'm fasting. I'm meant to be closer to you. And here I am just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And actually God said, no, all I'm doing is you're making yourself weaker so that you begin to become aware more of the stuff that's inside you that needs to be dealt with. The wilderness is the place of testing. Secondly, in the wilderness, Jesus is with the wild beasts. Now, people have understood this in two ways. There are some who will take it in a positive way. Jesus was with the wild beasts, a vision of harmony and the new future creation when the wolf will lie with the lamb and the child will play with the venomous snake. This is Jan Bruegel the Elder, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we read of the desert fathers and mothers. Stories tell us how although they were terrorized by demons who often came in the shape of wild beasts, They also lived in harmony with the real wild beasts. 
And whatever we make them, stories about St. Anthony or St. Francis, or here of St. Sergei of Radonezh, who you often see being accompanied by a bear, speak of the future harmony of creation. And the wilderness can be a place of beauty and harmony, of stillness of quiet and quiet, of oneness with nature and God. And that's one of the reasons why we can often yearn for the wilderness. But I think that when this verse speaks that Jesus is surrounded by the wild beasts, it is speaking of how he was surrounded by danger. The only other reference in the Bible to wild beasts, at least in the version that we use, is in Genesis 31 where Jacob speaks of how the wild beasts have torn apart sheep in his flock. And in Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes as he hangs on the cross when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It speaks of many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And it's important to remember that for the readers, the first readers of Mark's gospel, for some of them, the reference to wild beasts was frighteningly relevant. There was a very real danger that they would be arrested and thrown into the public arenas to be trampled down or torn in pieces by wild beasts because of their faith in Christ. But the good news is that Jesus has been there. He has walked through that valley of the shadow of death. He's been there with the wild beasts and he has overcome. And he can give us the strength to overcome. And thirdly, I note, the wilderness is the place of encounter with God. Angels, we are told, waited on him. This is an icon of the baptism, and you'll see on the right the angels, and they're actually covering their hands, and there's a material, it's a sort of a towel. It says there, you know, here we have the baptism, the wilderness, and then the angels minister to Jesus. It's interesting that in Luke and Matthew, the angels minister to Jesus after the temptations. In Mark, it's possible that the angels minister to Jesus while he was in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. You see, it's when we identify with Jesus in his crucifixion, when we are desolate, weak, lonely, empty and naked, that we can also be most close to God and most aware of his presence. Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Last week I was reading um, uh, in um, a, a, a book by Stephen Neal called Anglicanism, which is um, uh, uh, on the chapter uh, about the arrest of uh, the bishops of Hugh Latimer and Thomas Ridley and Cranmer uh, during, in the 16th century, they were arrested by, by Queen Mary. And Latimer, Hugh Latimer, was in prison awaiting his execution. They were going to tie him to a stake, surround it with wood, and then set it on fire. 
That is a pretty extreme wilderness place. And it was a place of testing for him. He was surrounded by wild beasts. And he writes, pardon me and pray for me. Pray for me, I say. Pray for me, I say. For I am sometimes so fearful that I would creep into a mouse hole. But then he adds, sometime God doth visit me again with his comfort. I pray none of us will ever know anything like that. But we will find ourselves in the wilderness and we will face trials or temptations and we will be surrounded by the wild beasts. But James writes, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Father God, when you take us into the wilderness, when your spirit drives us into the wilderness, and we're in that place of testing, and we're surrounded by the wild beasts, thank you that you are there, you've been there, and you are with us, and you will work with us for our good. Amen.